Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text I chose for this, uh, I think, special occasion <laughs> as we begin, um, however long this ministry or my ministry here uh, occurs and, and uh, takes, and I hope it's for your sake very short. Um, I'd like to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's worth reading again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Dear members of Christ Lutheran Church, our church in Tennessee... Ascension of Christ Lutheran Church in Crossville actually is helped by the city fathers of Crossville to allow us uh, the ability to, uh, to gain all kinds of prospects. And what they do is this. Six times a year, uh, starting in April, the first Friday of every other month, they call it uh, an event called Friday at the Crossroads. And they close down Main Street for four hours, from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And vendors of every sort, there are food trucks, there are food wagons, there are vendors selling their wares, and our church gets out there also. We have a tent, and uh, we try to decorate it. We have, we have uh, people who... who uh, want to share Jesus, or at least give our church some identity. We have three prizes at the end, and this is the way we get names. Uh, they're door prizes. We uh, have a theme that we always follow, and they have one every, every Friday night when they have this. And we try to get uh, prizes that are in accordance with the theme, and we try to make sure that there's some religious things that are found in there. But if people are going to win it, they obviously have to, they obviously have to, uh, to put in a registration form, right? And they give us their phone number, their address, uh, their email sometimes. And then we have something on the bottom. We don't make anybody do any of this, but they do it on their own. We ask them, do you have a church? And I can say this, literally every Friday that we have this, there are hundreds of people that come on by. In fact, we've gotten to know quite a, folk, quite a few folks from this who come by every time we're there. And it is with those people particularly who say they have no church that we follow up on. And uh, we're working that list again and again and again. Our pastor's doing a wonderful job. I served there for two years in a vacancy. A year ago, almost today, our new pastor came, and he's doing a wonderful job of reaching out to the community and using those names. Our event has evolved over the years. One of the things that someone suggested was that I would sit on a stool, which is good after sitting, standing on a pavement for four, or four hours, but they say, why don't you sit on a stool and uh, above my name, or above where I was sitting, they said, uh, ask the pastor. Now I was kind of worried about this, because I was wondering whether someone was going to use this to stump the pastor. But actually, it was a wonderful opportunity 
to be able to tell people about our church, about Jesus, had all kinds of questions that were asked, mostly about Lutheranism. What is the difference between the different synods? Uh, who is Martin Luther? There were people who asked about Bible translations. There was one guy who came along, and he was, he was, he did this on purpose. He asked about, well, how do you feel about the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism when it comes to the doctrine of election and the doctrine of determinism? <laughs> and then he smiled. But I talked to him about it. But he became my friend. He's an insurance agent in town. And every time he comes by, he talks to me. What's interesting about him is he doesn't know he's a Lutheran. The last time we had, or it was in October, we had our pastor there, so I wasn't asked the pastor anymore. So I decided to do something a little different. I've been very interested in trying to understand where people are spiritually. So I had my little, uh, right by our tent there, I had my little, I had some chairs, and I said, uh, research. And I asked people if they would come by and fill out a survey and talk to me. I had eight questions on a survey. I would go, actually go out into the street and I would try to find people that I thought didn't look churchy. Now, you might say I was trying to read hearts. No, I wasn't. But it was surprising how, I men, how many people I found that didn't look churchy that weren't churched. And there were eight questions. And I want to share two of those questions with you that I asked. One was this. If you could give a pastor advice, what would be the most important thing you think a pastor should be doing? The second one was this. If you could give advice to a church, what would be the most important thing a church could be doing or should be doing to make an impact on people's lives? And you know, just about 100% of the time, even unbelievers, because many of them were, said they should be helping people. And I said, what do you mean by that? You can help in all kinds of different ways. You look at the church as a charitable institution where they should always come, and, but, you know, don't we have things like that? You know, Red Cross, and just about every town has a lot of, lot of places where uh, the lost, uh, the, those who are having problems can go for things. Do you want us to be a place where someone can get fixed mentally, emotionally? And I had some Christians, too, that really didn't understand the main purpose of the church. And that's what I think would be good for us to review today. Just as it was in the book of Acts. This is God's work to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. First point is, be devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
Now understand, these words are said about the early Christian church, the first Christian church in the city of Jerusalem, right? Uh, and what a church it was. I mean, it was a mega church. The first one was a mega church. 3,000 were converted on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible then says that many were added to the church daily, those who were being saved. Some estimate that the church could have had 25,000 members. Now, what made it such a wonderful and big and great church? Was it because they had a beautiful, beautiful sanctuary that had all kinds of uh, stained glass windows in the walls that could tell the, the life of Christ all the way around from his birth to his resurrection or ascension? Was it because they had a 500-voice choir that could have could have rivaled the angels in heaven and the songs that they sang? Was it because, was it because they had all kinds of, of, uh, of musical instruments, a hundred-piece orchestra, or a grand and wonderful uh, uh, organ with all kinds of, uh, of uh, whistles and bells on it? Well, you know they didn't have any of that, did they? But what made them a dynamic church was, number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now that's kind of a head-scratcher if you stop and think about it. I mean, when you stop and think about who the apostles were, I mean, <laughs> there weren't really any educated people among them, or at least most of them. Most of them were fishermen. They didn't go to school. They just learned their trade from their fathers or from their family. And on top of that, they didn't always get it. You know, you stop and think about this. Um, that the apostles were, were people that thought that, that at first Jesus was going to be the Messiah, the Messiah was supposed to be the one, what? Who was going to set up his kingdom in Israel and make Israel a great and mighty nation again? And they found out that wasn't true. But they were arguing about it. Who was going to sit at his left hand and right hand, right? James and John, mom, got in the middle of it all. And everybody else got angry. These were the apostles that everybody listened to? Are you kidding me? Well, the reason why they're worth listening to is because of a promise that Jesus gave to them and a promise that he fulfilled. And that promise was this. On the night that he was betrayed, in the upper room he said these words to those very men. He said, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have taught you. Now think about that. You know, Jesus always said that uh, the Old Testament was the word of God, right? He often referred to Moses and the prophets as God's word, and the disciples knew that. But Jesus was promising here that the apostles would speak the word of God. Now listen to it again. He says, he's going to promise the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And what would the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit would teach them all things and remind them of everything that he had taught them. That's the promise of inspiration. That's one of the reasons why we believe the New Testament is the Word of God. Because the New Testament 
was written by the apostles who were given the Holy Spirit, who reminded them of everything that Jesus taught them. So there's good reason to believe that we should be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Hmm? Now, what do they teach? Well, when we start to think about what they teach, thought, taught, rather, <clears throat> it's really rather simple. The law and the gospel. They taught the law, the Ten Commandments, the will of God, how to be perfect, because that's how we must stand before God perfectly. Because if he's satisfied with anything less, then he can't be God. But how can that be? I mean, law tells us what to do and what not to do, right? The law tells us how to be and how not to be. The law tells us uh, how we should behave and how we should not behave. God wants us to follow it. Keep them. And if you don't, destruction, damnation. The soul that sins is the one who will die. Condemnation forever. Because no unclean person can stand before God. The law says that we are now, because of it, conscious of our sin. And that the wages of sin is death. Boy, do we need mercy. God's mercy. You see, he didn't stop with the law, did he? <laughs> he also gives us the gospel, the good news. The good news about Jesus Christ. The one that God would send into this world and did send into the world who would do all that which we couldn't do. First of all, when God says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, well, we needed someone to be holy, and that's Jesus. Never once did he sin in his 33 years on this earth. And why? There was a purpose. He was our substitute, living on our behalf, standing before his holy Father, offering his life as a substitute for ours. So what about, what about the punishment for sin? Well, that's the other part. That's what Calvary was all about. That's what his death was all about. He was paying for the sins of the entire world. Every sin ever committed from the beginning of time to the end of time. And those who believe in him have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that was the apostles' teaching, wasn't it? And that's what God has given to us. To give hope. To help people understand that life is not just about this time but what happens after death that Jesus won a place for us in heaven. Believe it, because it's true, the apostles' teaching. Needless to say, that's what we need to devote our, our, our ministry to. What about the next part? They devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. Now let me say something about this too. This is kind of a head-scratcher. People could say, fellowship? Impossible. 
Why? Because they didn't have coffee and donuts in the first century. They didn't have bowling alleys or softball games. You see, we get to understand what fellowship really is in the context of these verses. What's fellowship? Isn't it this? You, me, and him. That's fellowship. That we're members of the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. That we've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. I always say to people, (laughs) I always say this, you, you better get along with one another now because you're going to be with each other for eternity. Because it's true. That's fellowship. We have fellowship with our fellow Christians all around the world. We have fellowship with those who are already in heaven. A relationship that we have because Jesus is our Savior. And I guess I can speak about about this because I've been around the block a few times. What a marvelous thing that is. What a marvelous thing it is. I grew up north of Green Bay, Wisconsin. The real frozen tundra. And I never would have thought that I would have gotten to meet some of the people that I did. I would never have thought I would have gotten to meet you. But God made it happen. Jesus made it happen, right? Called me into the ministry. And I've gotten to meet people from all around the world. The church from which I retired in Johns Creek, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, um, we had at one time 18 different people who came or were born from different, in different countries that were there. Our church wasn't that big, but we had people from all around the world that had come to church there, 18 different countries. My wife and I were talking the other night, and I I asked her this question because I was thinking about the sermon here. I said, Judy, how many many different places have I preached in my ministry? And I don't know whether this is a lot or not, but I can say I preached in San Jose, California. My very first sermon I preached in, believe it or not, I I preached up in in Montana, in uh, Great Falls, Montana. I preached in Colorado, in Greeley, Colorado, in Fort Morgan, Colorado. I've been in El Paso, Texas. Uh, then there were some areas around the home. I've been out here at east. I've been in New York. Been down in the southern tip of Florida. In fact, we counted up, and I think we came up with 63 different churches. And I don't know whether that's a lot or not. But you know what was always interesting? I knew that when I went to a church... I knew what the congregation expected of me. And that was to preach about Jesus. And I knew what I was supposed to do and preach about Jesus. Why? Because we're all part of this fellowship called the Holy Christian Church, the Communion of Saints. What a wonderful organization (laughs) we're a part of and that you're a part of. Devote yourselves 
to getting to know and love and care about each other and serve each other. And those who are not here, who need to be here. So we got the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and now what? The breaking of bread. Now when you take a look at the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you go down a couple verses, it says they broke bread in one another's homes. In other words, they loved one another, they invited each other over for dinner. But I don't believe that's really what it means here. I believe it's what we do when we come to Lord's Supper. We break bread. We come together and we receive Christ's body, Christ's blood. In other words, the church should be devoted to the sacraments. The word and the sacraments. The means by which the Holy Spirit works. When you think about uh, the sacrament of the Holy Supper, right? Bread, wine with the body and blood of Jesus. We call it the visible gospel. It's tangible. It's tasteable. It's even smellable. And what is Jesus doing? He says, you're forgiven. Here is the proof. Take eat. Take drink. In a most intimate way, your personal individual forgiveness of sins given to you. And that's what we share. And it doesn't stop with the, with the Lord's Supper, obviously, also. We, uh, we baptize. We baptize. If we ever get into some Bible classes, and I encourage you to do so, and we start getting into baptism, um, I have a lot to say about that. And uh, I won't tell the whole story, but I'll say it this way. We have a son who's now six foot my wife will argue with me. He says, I say it's six foot five, he's six foot four, she says. He's a pastor now in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, just a wonderful son and a wonderful pastor. And uh, when he was born, he was born two and a half months, three months premature. He was in the hospital 47 days. Get me going on this. Get me going on this on baptism. I'll do it in Bible class. But think about the promises that God gives to us in baptism. Something we don't generally think about on a daily basis, and we ought to. In baptism, we were born again. The Holy Spirit works, except a man be born of water and the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Spirit comes into, claims us to be God's children. We're washed clean of our sin. Because that forgiveness that Jesus won and that baptism attaches us to Christ becomes our own. Be, arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. The, the, the passages go on and on and on. I don't know why so many people out there have such different ideas about baptism when the passages are certainly clear. Value your baptism. I remember one time preaching a, at one of those churches that kind of hid the baptismal font off uh, against the wall. And uh, maybe I was wrong in doing it, but I said, you know, this is the reason why I was talking about baptism, what happens here, is placed at the middle aisle or a prominent place on the altar so that when people come in 
and see the baptismal font, they remember their baptism as they enter into the church. I advise you to do the same. To look at the baptismal font and remember the promises that God gave to you. And that's why we should be devoted, what? To apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, or the sacraments. And the fourth thing that he says is, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer. Remember the time when Jesus cleansed the temple? They made Jesus' uh, house into a mall. Right? They were selling. They were, uh, uh, there were oxen in there. there everything. It must have smelled like a barn. God's temple. And Jesus cleansed the temple. And then he told, told those who were in authority, he says, God's house is a house of prayer. And I know that when I was a little kid, the prayer section for me and during the church service was a little bit hard to take. Because it seemed to go on and on and on. Right? One leg, then the next leg. Oh no, he's going to pray about that. You know, God forgive me, but that's the way it was. And maybe sometimes that's the way we think. In fact, a lot of times I think that in churches, we end up cutting short that section on prayer when God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. Now, we can't be here longer than six months. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the next six months. All right? If you come to me with a prayer request. That prayer is going to be prayed. We're going to pray about that until you either say uh, that I'm better now or whoever, whatever you're praying about, or maybe it's a person, that person dies. All right. In fact, in our church that I retired from, we prayed for a fellow every Sunday for 11 years. He had cancer. And you know what? He didn't die in those 11 years. We prayed for a minister of music in our church. We had one. He died after eight years. But I am absolutely positive it would have been a whole lot sooner if we had not been praying for him all along. And I'm going to say this to you. Don't say to yourself, I don't want my main name mentioned here up at, in church. You know, people are going to be curious and, and uh, ask me all kinds of questions. Well, first of all, understand this. When you hear someone to be prayed about, it's not an announcement. It's your job now to pray for that person yourself. You pray for that person. God knows what's wrong. God also knows how to heal you offer him that opportunity. He wants you to pray. He wants God's people to pray. So let's do so. So what's the church about? Well, in the book of Acts, it says four things, right? The apostles' teaching, God's word, fellowship, enjoy it, love it, love each other, serve one another. The word and sacrament and prayer. That's our goal.
Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.